I was just yesterday I the Lord led me to first Kings and I started reading about that story you were just talking about. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, that boy thought he had it made. He had him what, twenty twenty men running ahead of him. <laughs> he was he was just big shot. <laughs> Believe in his own press, you see. Surround himself with people who Tell him everything good about him. He was handsome too. Not not like Absalom, obviously, but he was, they say, well, he was a handsome man too. But it was all for Solomon. God laughs. So the scripture said, God, yeah, God sits on his throne and he just laughs at the arrogance of man. He laughs at them, not because it makes him happy, but Because he just thinks they're ridiculous sometimes. Compared to God. You know. I just. uh, I don't even. I I have to draw on those memories sometimes. From before. I knew him. Because that's the only time I like to. To talk about those things. And to share those stories. Because I hate it. But it helps in ministry sometimes. To empathize and to to share, but uh, I don't want to. I don't want to ever go back to a a time when I I didn't know him, and I don't want to focus on a time when I didn't know him. Just put everything in God's hands and leave the consequences up to Him. You know who I learned that from. Charles Stanley. That's what I've done with my life, and I'm so glad of it. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 9, the Lord says, The Lord's portion is his people. Isn't that something? God's biggest concern. In this whole history of man, you see, God created time. He's not in it. I picture it like a ruler suspended in space. He he created that. It's already played out all the way through. And it is playing out right now. (laughs) God is three separate individuals, but he is just one individual. He's God. You know why we our heads explode like that? Because we, we start using our natural minds to reason God. Put Him in a box. Try to make God make sense. It all makes perfect sense, by the way. And we'll learn more and more about that for the millennials to come. But his portion is his people. You know, he was after a family. And he sowed a seed, his only son. And he, he's harvesting a crop now. And he's going through all the toil and labor and hardships and pain and suffering of the farmer. He knew it would cause him pain when he did it. He did it anyway. So what's, what's this whole life? What's this whole salvation process? What's it all about? It's about just that. God's people. And He's doing a work in us. Trying to do some work through us if we'll allow Him. Amen. If we ever get to that third year mentality. But his main goal is to bring people... There's there's a few things. And I'll break it down into a simple process. Because I know people sometimes wondering, what's this all about? I have ministers calling me. Calling me. Messaging me. Just 
full of love, full of still the same, but discouraged, doubting, barely hanging on. You know, just without coming out and saying things in so many words, they'll just say, well, what do you, how do you keep yourself encouraged? What do you, it's hard enough to get people to listen, can't even get them to come to church. What's the, what's the reason behind it all? Why should I keep trying? Well, the same reason I told you last week, if nobody showed up, as long as I can get in the door, I'd preach the same message. And I've done it before. <laughs> it's not between me and you. What Mother Teresa's poem anyway. It was between, it's always been between me and him anyway. The first Sunday message I ever preached, the I was so excited the pastor told me, you're going to preach on Sunday. He didn't tell me there was another conference in town and he was taking everybody else with him. <laughs> Back then, Tavana drove the camera. And uh, it was just me and her. <laughs> and I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he said, what do you mean? Get after it, boy. <laughs> Who was your appointment with? And you know, I'll never forget my wife. About ten minutes into the sermon, she did this. <laughs> and, I, and I asked her later, she says, it just seemed like you were just floating there. You just had this aura, you know, the Holy Ghost had shown up and he was showing off and boy, we had a time. That was a great <laughs> message. God was, it was just... And he, he, he was teaching me. If I tell you to take off and walk through that wall, just get started. Don't use your, don't use your mind. One of the things that always it tickled me, I, asked, I had to ask the Lord about it in John 17, 3 on, his, on that fateful night of his passion. He, he was... He had so much to share, you know. That's why I love reading those last chapters of John. But he's talking to, he's praying to the Father. The opening passages of John chapter 17. He's praying to the Father and he's talking about eternal life. And he says, and this is eternal life. And so he stops and and gives the definition to the Father. It's like, like he needs to explain it to him. I said, Lord, that seems funny. And he goes, I, he goes, I didn't say it for his benefit. <laughs> it was for you. <laughs> and for the disciples and for all those who would read in the future. But he was telling us the meaning of eternal life. To know the Father and to know the Son. And the word he used there to know is the same word that he used in Genesis when it said Adam knew Eve and they conceived and had a child. It's, a, it's an intimacy that God is after with his people. That's the goal of salvation. That's the first goal. Intimacy. People think, well, well salvation is all just about so I could be forgiven. The forgiveness of sins. Not at all. Sin was in the way of that relationship, of that intimacy. So forgiveness of sins was just a means to an end. The end goal was to have relationship with you. To be close to you. The Lord's portion is His people. So the next thing is to, once He draws you in, and you accept Him, then, then He goes about the business of making you His own possession. 
Jeremiah chapter 18 comes to mind where he he talks about being the potter and we're the clay, you see. Thank God that uh, he was dealing with Israel at the time in a way that uh, we don't have to be concerned about now. (laughs) But he molds and shapes us if we allow him. I told you the graveyard is the most treasured area in town. People there, laying there, who never lived one day in the will of God for their lives. But if we allow Him, God will then begin to make us His own possession. Something treasured, something beautiful. Something prized. And set apart, sanctified, set apart and made holy unto God. But it requires a process of transformation. It's not just about saying a prayer. It's not just about, you know, in the old days there was, uh, and one of our mutual friends, Charlie, Charlie knows Andrew, and obviously you know Andrew, and Andrew, but Andrew talks about growing up as a Baptist, and he's very thankful for everything that he learned there, but he was sort of a Pharisee, you know. <laughs> he says that uh, at their church it was uh, they had a little song it says uh, Mary had a little lamb who would have been a sheep then she he joined the local church and died from lack of sleep <laughs> doing doing his good real faith will act like Tavana says, faith has feet and lips. And it does. But it's not about the doing. And they would go out and they would just come back with their their list, you know. I got so many. You know. I got so many. The problem is, and like Billy Graham, if he was still here, he would tell you that's the same problem they have with so many evangelists, many streets, uh, they, 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 they will bring Thousands to the Lord. But unless they go and get discipled in the word, they can end up worse off, the Bible says, than they began. So we have to submit. The word surrender comes to mind. Think of that nesty plunge. I always use as the example. I don't, younger congregation wouldn't uh, be... Aware of that old commercial where they took the nesty plunge and they just fell backwards into the pool. Matthew, again, chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. Jesus, this is when he first called his disciples. He said, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, he being Jesus. He saw Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Verse 19, and he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Sort of the one, two, three right there. Follow me, I will make. You fishers of men. That's sort of like the first, second, third year. See, he's the author and the finisher of our faith. He gets you started and he takes us the whole way. There's an entire chapter in Genesis I'll share with you one day. It's an autobiography written in this book. A little passage of scripture about the author, by the author. Hidden in the story of... uh, Well, I have to get to it for you. It's about the marriage of Isaac and Rebekah. Nevertheless... Romans 12, 1 and 2. 
I always like the passion that John has. I'm, I'm sorry, that Paul has when in, in this uh, passage of Scripture. He goes to great lengths to describe what's happened in the life of a believer and it's a beautiful depiction of the grace of God and the process and he explains everything that Jesus has done for us and this is one of those therefores after all that Toward the end, he's explaining all the goodness of God and how Jesus has made this sacrifice for us and how the divine counsel of God, which is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, prepared this master plan, the greatest spiritual, military, political victory of all time. And based on these things that God has done for us, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, brothers, sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship or your reasonable sacrifice, the King James says. It goes on, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So first of all, this transformation process that God undergoes, that we undergo in the hands of our Lord and Savior, to make us this prized possession of His own, to to shape and mold us into what He created us to be and to do, requires total commitment on our part. This is where the lion's share of what's called the body of Christ gets off the bus. I think in my book, I wrote in there in one of those chapters about how people people come to church and then they they leave him there. (laughs) They think they leave him there on Sunday when they head out. And how people are, they love the look, they love the Savior part. They love the forgiveness part of their salvation, but the Lordship, not so much. My life. Can't tell you, can't let you tell me what to do with it. I got to find me. I got to do me. Well, that's what he wants too. But first you have to get rid of the lies about who you are. And that only comes through this. We have to become a living... You know the problem with the living sacrifice? It likes to keep crawling down off the altar. (laughs) (laughs) It's a free will, you see. We have a choice. It's not a, a robot that he's created. He still gives you that free will and he'll honor that all the way to hell if you choose. But it's not His will. He has a perfect plan, a beautiful plan for your life to make something beautiful out of that life. And it involves just getting closer and closer and closer to Him. The mind will begin to change. Your mind will change, won't it? Your heart has been renewed. It's, it's not that hard heart anymore that, that he was talking about in Jeremiah when he was talking about the, the potter. 
And he was really threatening them. (laughs) But he's given you a soft heart toward him. There's no more sin nature. There's nothing compelling you to do the things you used to do. Maybe one time you could have said the devil made me do it, but not anymore if you really belong to the Lord. Your values will begin to change. You see Christians... You see, I don't understand Christians that... Entire churches and... See, this is a powerful... This is a powerful thing right here. Great responsibility comes with standing behind this. I'm going to be held to a higher standard of accountability. Have I taught you to love? Have I taught you to love the Lord? Have I taught you who you are, your true identity in Christ? To reject the lies and embrace the truth? Like Charlie said, some things are simple. When it when you're just living by the word. When you come to terms and say, if God said it, that settles it. That's what bearing my cross is. Every day I come to that crossroads, so to speak. Or it's like, I would prefer to do this. But God is opposed to that. And so, I'll do it His way. I'll grab that snake by the tail if it kills me. Because I live to serve the living God. And He knows what's best for me. Once you are totally committed, you put the Word in with the help of the Holy Spirit, your mind, your values, your your attitudes change. And then we can know His will for our lives. Isn't that what that breaks down to? Don't be conformed to the, the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is where that battlefield is we talked about. This is the battlefield where the enemy comes and tries to erect barricades, fortresses, strongholds in the minds of people. But once we agree with God, we begin to renew our minds according to the Word of God. We're transformed by that renewal in our mind that by testing now, now, we're so full of the truth we can't stand the lie, you see. Now we can discern, we can know the perfect will of God. That's the number one thing I hear from mature Christians. I just don't know what God wants. I need to hear God. I need. He's never stopped talking. What's the last thing He told you that you were sure you heard? Maybe you didn't do that. <laughs> and you know that's a lot of time that fixes the problem. But that's how you find God's plan. It's really that simple. My whole hope is to break the, break it down so that something that's incredibly intricate and complicated and beyond our total comprehension, the part that we need to know is easy. It's simple. Good God, bad devil... Agree with God. Turn from the world. Turn off CNN. The longer you leave it on, the longer you have to pray to get rid of all that junk. Remember last week we talked about the fact, we'll turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. When we're looking into the Word, we're looking into what? Folks, the Word of God is the will of God. 
This is Jesus without eyeballs. <laughs> Second Corinthians. Oh, I'm in First Corinthians. I would, if I would have read that, I would have started preaching right there. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Keep me. <laughs> this is Second Corinthians three eighteen. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So we're being transformed glory to glory. Truth to truth. As we learn one thing and accept that and embrace that for our lives, He moves us on to the next thing. You see? And we're being conformed. Glory to glory to glory. It's a, it's a level up process. Sort of like a set of stairs, I see. Climbing that stairway to heaven. Amen? Except it's not a performance-based acceptance. It's a conformance. We're being conformed to the image of Christ. What we don't do here, we'll do there. But man... How much better to live here for the Lord. I tell the story about my brother who passed away at an early age. He was, he was a year younger than I am now when he passed. But he did receive the Lord. I've I got so many friends and family members that some did, some didn't. But they, they died early. And the ones that did get, they got it late. And so I say, that's great. Eternity is a lot longer than this life. But man, wouldn't it have been great had they been able to enjoy the benefits of their salvation, of their inheritance in this life. Because you get to a point where you understand it's not about me. God left me here to influence others and to continue being conformed into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. But that same help that we receive, that same healing everywhere we hurt, that empowerment by the promises of God, the love of God for us, and the prosperity that is not just about money. But we've come to know we need to give others that same help. People that were in a similar situation as we were when we were fighting against God. And yeah, it's hard. It's hard to, it's easy to love someone who's stupid. But stupid coupled with arrogance is hard. <laughs> Sometimes. That's why Christianity is supernatural. Because I'm not moved by people's sin anymore. I hate it for the same reasons God hates it. Because it hurts people. And when they identify with that sin and they want to force you to call it good because that's who they are, I'm not going to ever submit to that. And believe me, folks, you don't want a government that tries to force you to do that. I will always protect everybody. I will watch over and pray for and love them. Everyone knows I have a sister who's lived a lifestyle with only other women her whole life. And I love her. I talk to her on the phone. I visit her. I would do anything for her. But I'm not going to call it good. Second Corinthians, since we're over there, look in the fourth chapter, verses 17 and 18. We're looking into the righteous mirror of the Word of God right now, aren't we? Are we leveling up? Are we making it our own? <laughs> because I want you to look at this and remember this today. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17 and 18. For this light momentary affliction, you know, 
some some people earn the right to sort of speak into your life and to speak about certain things, right? You know, I always tell people, listen, you, you've got to quit talking at these people. Just pray for them. First of all, you sound mean, and they don't not going to care how much you know until they know how much you care. But sometimes people just been through some things that gives them the right to talk about those things. So for a man who was beaten and shipwrecked and stoned to death once and brought back to life, I believe, and imprisoned for most of the time he wrote the majority of this New Testament to say these light momentary afflictions... This is a man walking after the Spirit. Amen. Amen. And here's this is the key. This is the key. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, temporary, passing by. But the things that are unseen are eternal. That, folks, is the key to a life of peace and joy and intimacy with God who loves you. We use the example of the the seesaw. You ever seen both ends of the seesaw on the ground at the same time? <laughs> it's not made that way, is it? Unless it's broken. <laughs> but we're like a seesaw. And what we magnify here between our ears is what's going to be huge in our lives. And the thing is, you cannot magnify the promises and the goodness and the provision and the protection of your Lord and Savior at the same time you're magnifying the cares and troubles and trials and tribulations of this life. The more you magnify the Lord, the smaller those troubles are going to be. And as a matter of fact, when you speak, when you, all you talk about, first of all, you can't move to the next chapter in your life as long as you keep rereading the last one. And if you keep speaking out every negative thing that you see or are afraid might happen, you're actually empowering that thing. We use the example of all the, the angels who sang this song. We know that there are angels all around. There are. God has angels here. I got some big bookend ones right here. But you know, so does the devil. He has some of his fallen angels here today. They're everywhere. But to me, I'm not afraid of them. They're nothing. I'm like old Smith Wigglesworth. Wake up in the night. Ooh, devil's standing at the end of his bed. And he said, hold that candle up and go, oh, it's just you. <laughs> and he went back to bed. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> but we have to look by faith into the righteous mirror of the word of God. And remember... You will have trials. You will have troubles in this life. There will be things that we don't understand. There will be disappointments and dangers and afflictions and all these things. And I'm not prophesying those things. But it's just a fact that we will endure hardships in this life. Jesus said so. But we don't stop short of saying what he said. Be of good cheer because he has overcome the world. And aren't you in him? Aren't you seated with Him in heavenly places? Or can't you see spiritual things? Can't you magnify the things that are unseen? If you can't, you need to practice it. 
you need to first of all receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you've been putting that off, I recommend it highly. But these afflictions, they're not really doing us harm. You say, yeah, buddy, that's where you lost me. You don't know what I'm going through. No, I don't know what you're going through, but I know what I've gone through. The key word is through. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. Didn't he say he'll never leave you? He'll never forsake you? So how do we make these monsters so big in our life when we have Jesus standing right there? Does he have to be visible for you to believe? He told Thomas that wasn't cool. (laughs) These afflictions though. We will go through, but they're not doing us any harm, like I said, on one condition. Because things can do people harm. Just age does not cause wisdom. Afflictions does not cause people to get wise. I've been in prison with Charlie before. And I've seen guys who were just as dumb as the the 14th time before they got there. And... Others that just didn't need to be there anymore. It's a choice. It's a choice. That's why people come to me all the time. They say, well, man, I, man I'm, you know, I don't want to be an old hypocrite. I've already lived my life. I've made my bed. I'm going to lie in it. Just pray for my family. I say, how dumb can you get? If you start right now and you just commit to God, total commitment to God, you'll be ahead of 90% of the Christians that have been going to church their whole life. Billy Graham said most of them aren't even saved. He used a number and I don't even want to touch it. It's a huge number. A huge percentage. But we don't know that. And I'm not the judge, so... I'm going to leave that one alone. But I don't want to be in that number. I want to be in the number of those in line to receive the well done, good, and faithful servant. And I want everyone who ever takes their precious time and sits under this word with me standing at this podium to be right there with me. I want to be your friend forever. I want to be invited to your mansion. Amen? Amen. So, we continue to look into the righteous mirror of the Word of God. That's how we submit. That's how we allow these afflictions not to harm us. By focusing on the eternal and not the temporal. Not the temporary. Not this transient world. Because this life is just but a flicker. And then we're gone. God's word, however, shows us the unseen realities and truth. And God's purposes for us. For our life. This is where you find the answers to all the questions that you have from God. People aren't willing to spend the time. Jeremiah 29 Everybody's familiar with the passage of Scripture. Right here, 29.11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. But you know, there are verses after that. (laughs) He says, and then you will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Are we falling short of that? There's always... A part for the Christian to play because there's a real relationship going on here. It's a two-sided thing. It can't be one way. What if you seeked after God 24-7 your whole life and He never ever was responded, never answered, never saved you, never, and He did it for everybody else? Well, you'd be mad at Him, wouldn't you? 
But according to this word, which is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, we know that we're born again because we believed on Jesus. We've accepted Him as our Lord and Savior. And now we're in the process. So we look into the mirror of God's Word by faith. And then when we look, the Holy Spirit reveals our destiny of who we are and what we are to do. And He empowers us through the atonement. Everything provided through the atonement of Jesus on the cross is the grace of God. And we obtain it, the hand that reaches out and takes hold of everything provided by the grace of God is faith. And so we walk in faith. And as we continue to look in the mirror, the Holy Spirit continues to change us into what God has prepared us to do. Into that which we have apprehended by faith. The truth of God. The promises of God. The things that we have made our own. That we are standing on. Believing for. And it should grow. You should have a you should have journals and books of, of prayers that you've written down years ago that every one of them, as you turn the pages, you can see where God has shown off in your life and answered those. And that track record should make your faith so strong that you can't be shaken. Because God is shaking everything in the heavens and the earth that can be shaken. That means everything that is not of Him. What's of Him? The Word of God. The children of God. And the real church. I'm sorry I have to say the real church. But we'll see what I'm talking about in the days and years to come. If the Lord tarries. But glory to glory, we being conformed into the image of God. Didn't I show? Didn't we start at Second uh, Corinthians chapter three? I want to just say one thing right there. Second Corinthians chapter three. Verse sixteen. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now we're able to see. We're able to look into the Spirit. You see? When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This word for transformed is, this, is the word in Greek um, that we get metamorphosis from. Like a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. You see? God is making something beautiful out of us. He has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of sound mind. That's 2 Timothy 1.7. In Matthew chapter 14, around verse 30. Have I got a minute? I, 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 you know, it, it just we never finish. We just stop somewhere. But I, I, I don't want to stop if y'all don't want to stop. Matthew chapter 14. This is the story of Peter walking on the water. And I'll just start it. I'll, I'll go back to verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowds. He'd been preaching to a great crowd. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Point taken. 
When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, it was just before morning, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it's I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he saw he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. You know, fear is, is like the opposite of faith, right? Fear is faith in the devil. That's exactly right. It's more, putting more confidence in what the devil can or will or did or might do than you put into what the Lord has said he will and can and does do. Do you see that? Now, this isn't a, I mean, it isn't a criticism. I'm not condemning anyone. We all struggle from time to time. But I'm just telling you, it's better to know the truth because the Bible says if you resist the devil, he will he will flee from you. But if you don't know when to resist, you know, if you got a church teaching you that God puts sickness or divorce or death in your life to teach you something, why would you resist it? All those things are not of God. They're of the devil. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly to the full. The thief, the devil, he came to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So now do you know the will of the Father based on the Word of God? Yes, it's good. Good God, bad devil. You know, Peter, why did Peter, you ever seen anyone start sinking before? I never seen anyone start sinking when they jump in the water. Ever thought about that? <laughs> I'm like 2.30, man. I, I don't start sinking. <laughs> But this had to do with faith and fear. There was a spiritual tug of war going on. Peter looked around. He was excited at first, but then he looked around. He took his eyes off of Jesus, and he was a fisherman. He knew the waters. He knew the, and the wind and the waves, and he saw that, and he said, Man, this shouldn't be. And it wouldn't. But his ability to walk on the water didn't have anything to do with the water being calm anyway. <laughs> when Jesus said come, there was enough power in that word to accomplish everything that he had sent it out to do. That's all there was to it. If you start sinking, if you feel yourself sinking, in the cares and the troubles and the trials and the tests of this life. Put your full attention on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. He loves you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. All of these 8,000 promises in this Bible are yes and amen for you. If you will believe, you will receive. Jesus said, believe you have what you prayed for when you pray and you will have it. 
So it seems backwards. It's never going to fit into that regiment of the, of the intellectual elites who have educated themselves beyond God because it will never make sense to believe so that you will receive. They say, well, I'll receive and then I'll believe. That makes more sense. Well, then you won't get it. And remember this. Just like these gentlemen here who have surrendered their lives to the Lord and go where others won't or don't. If you, God will use a man to accomplish his will. But our faith is not in that man. It's in Jesus. God is going to be doing some things in this country. I believe revival is coming to the church. I believe that the people of God need to be adorned with all the gifts of the Spirit. Walking in power and victory and love and truth and discipline. So that when God calls upon us to throw your rod down, it'll gobble up those false teachers' rods. And you'll be set apart as one of the true children of God. And you can count on that good and faithful servant. Well done. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this pure, simple truth about your love for us and your plan for our lives. The transformation of the believer into the image of Christ, glory to glory, faith to faith, as we look into the righteous mirror of the Word of God and are being transformed into something beautiful and wonderful and useful for the kingdom of God. We surrender all, Lord, to you, and we just say, make us usable. And we love you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.